You can turn over in your Bibles to Romans, Romans chapter 1. Last week we began to look at uh, biblical servanthood out of Romans chapter 1, and I just want to read our text for us. Um, Romans chapter 1, beginning in verse 8. Romans chapter 1, beginning in verse 8. Paul writes, First I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you, always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith both yours and mine. I want you to know, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Uh, last week we uh, looked at the first several characteristics of a biblical uh, servant, and we're going to just in review go over those. But I remember growing up in Pennsylvania uh, on the property we had. We had a large pond in front of our house, and and I don't know why, but my Dad and grandfather, when they purchased this property for our family years ago, um, they liked stone walls. So the pond was probably an acre or so, and it was fed by two streams. And uh, I just remember growing up looking at around every uh, body of water on our property, there was a stone wall, perfectly pointed, painted. All the lines, beautiful. Um, and I remember as a preteen in the summertime when most of my uh, older brothers, I was the baby, were out and about, uh, my one brother Johnny would come home from dental school and he'd say, for the summer, and he would say, you're with me all summer. And every day, Monday through Saturday almost, we would spend hours my job was to mix the cement, the mortar. Now, we weren't necessarily building these walls. We were just pointing them up. But three, two, one, you know, the ratio. And sometimes they'd get it wrong, and it'd come out like soup in our electric mixer and everything. He'd yell at me, and I'd go back and, you know, try to make it right. But I remember watching him, and, and he just had it, I think, flowing through his veins as a dentist. That's what he did. So he just loved pointing up these walls and just making them perfect. And even though we weren't building these walls, we were maintaining something that was built years before. And... Uh, Unfortunately, today, a lot of those walls are decrepit and fallen down because my brother passed away, who was the dentist, and I think he was the only one interested in really pointing up the walls. So uh, they, they lay in disarray now. They're still there, some of them. But for the most part, they don't look anything like they did in their original form. And as we go through this section of, of Romans, Paul is, is kind of doing that to our lives. He's saying, I'm just going to point you up a little bit. I'm going to give you a little touch-up here and there. 
and uh, because some things begin to fade, some things begin to crack, and I just want to remind you of some things. And so there's, there's things here that Paul wants us to be reminded of. And he shares with us, basically, in the opening verses there, he, he begins to introduce himself, and we went through that uh, previously. But you notice that he didn't begin by necessarily sharing his theology or his doctrine or his convictions or his goals or his purpose. First, he, he really shared his heart. And that's so, so important. Um, and I think that, that sometimes you have to, you know, we can't just be dumping theology on people. We have to be able to reveal our heart to them, to show them that we care for them and that we're concerned for them, that we want to have compassion for them and, and on them. And uh, rather than just focusing on theology here, he really basically is, is focusing on himself. He says, rather than just give you a bunch of teaching, he does that in the book of Romans, but he says, rather than just do that, I want you to know that I'm a real person. And that I'm not just someone that you've heard about that's bigger than life. That I'm a real individual, and I want you to know my heart. I want you to know why I serve the Lord. And that's what he begins to do. And he, we, last week we looked at the first one there, a thankful heart in verse 8. He says, I thank my God. He understood where the thankfulness should be addressed to. He wasn't thanking them. He was thanking God. So many times we get that mixed up. The Lord blesses us with something, and a lot of times we'll, we'll end up thanking the giver of that gift more than we do the Lord. And secondly, we looked at his concerned spirit in verse 9. Not only was he thankful, but he talks about that God is his witness and he serves with my spirit in the gospel of his son. And then he says this, without ceasing, I make mention of you in my prayers. And we discussed the idea that, you know what, if you're concerned for someone, you're going to be praying for that person. They're going to be on your mind. Um, James Boyce, in one of his commentaries, he has a little section, and he suggests three reasons why sometimes our perfectly proper prayers go unanswered. Have you ever wondered about that? You know, you're praying for something, there's a need in your life, it's legitimate, you're not in it for the wrong motives, and you're praying, and you're praying, and you're praying, and God is not answering. I don't know about you, but that's frustrating. That's like, come on, God, what do you, you know, everything's lining up here. What, this is the opportunity. Come on, answer this prayer. We can do this new ministry, or we can do this, or we can reach this person, or whatever. Well, he says this. He says there's three reasons why our proper prayers may go unanswered. First of all, unanswered prayer may be God's way of teaching that we are not as necessary to the work we are praying for as we think we are. And that's important. That's important to understand that. Sometimes, you know, when we're involved in ministry and we're serving the Lord, we begin to think a little bit too much of ourselves. We think, oh man, boy, this Sunday school class wouldn't happen if it wasn't for me. Or boy, this fellowship team would fall apart if it wasn't for me. Or boy, if it, you know, if it wasn't for my hand in VBS, then nothing would happen. Or boy, if, if I wasn't involved in this church, man, it'd just be in shambles. Whatever you're calling, wherever you're involved in ministry, don't ever believe that lie. Because sometimes I think our prayers are, are, are good intentioned, but God is just saying basically, you know what? I'm going to show you that you're not as necessary to the work of God as you think you are. 
And now here Paul wanted to go to Rome, right? And he wanted to minister to these people. He wanted to do it out of a sincere heart. He didn't have any ulterior motives here. But you know what? These believers in Rome were apparently doing pretty well without Paul. (laughs) They were doing okay in the meantime. And while Paul maybe didn't have a wrong motive here, but God, I think, was maybe delaying his answer to prayer of him going there because we're not indispensable. None of us are. Secondly, Boyce says this, one of the second reasons our proper prayers may go unanswered is he may have other work for us to do. Sometimes we set our heart on a certain ministry, on a certain, maybe a person getting saved or, or a certain pe- person we're reaching out to. And boy, we're just, you know, pining away after that person. We're praying about him. We're trying to rearrange our schedule so we can spend time or do this or do that. And, and we're praying and God doesn't seem to be blessing it. And sometimes God is kindly, gently, lovingly saying, I want you to do something else. <laughs> Yeah, you're gifted in this area, and yeah, you could do it in your sleep, but I have something else for you. I have something new for you. I want to stretch you a little bit. I want to use you in a different way. And see, with Paul, the Apostle Paul here, his, his ministry in Greece and in Asia and even Caesarea, where he preached to people like Felix and Festus and others, that was part of the ministry he was doing because he wasn't in Rome. And that was part of God's sovereign plan for Paul. If God has you stalled in a ministry and you're getting frustrated, you know what? The best thing to do is just serve him right there. Just do what God has called you to do. Forget about your plans and just say, okay, you know what? I'm just going to continue to do this until God opens another door. Until God leads me somewhere else. Until God shows me exactly where and how and, and, and who he wants me to minister to. So he may have something else for you to do. Thirdly, Dr. Boyce says this. Third reason why our proper prayers may go unanswered is there may be spiritual warfare of which we're unaware. We don't think about that much in our country, do we? You know, you go into some foreign countries, spiritual warfare is a very, very, very real thing. It's very real here, but we're kind of ignorant to it. The answer to Daniel's prayers in the Old Testament, they were delayed. And remember why? Because there was a holy angel and an evil demon, and there was a battle going on. And here's Daniel praying, God, answer this prayer. Oh, can't do it. There's spiritual warfare going on here. Paul explains that our conflict is against unseen spiritual powers. And that prayer is our chief weapon. That's what he says. And we should use that in battle. Ephesians chapter 6, right? So we often don't know why our prayers are not answered in the time frame that we want them to. Maybe as quick as we want them to be. But you know what? Even during those times, beloved, we have to trust him and we have to submit to God, and we have to submit to God's sovereign will. He's always prayerful, Paul is, because he knows that although he can thank God for everything that's been done, there's still a lot to be done. He's willing to do 
whatever it takes to be the solution to the problem, if it's in God's will. And that should be our goal. Paul sought to give to others, not only for what he could get, but for what he can give and receive. It's a two-way street. We also looked at the idea of having a willing spirit. A willing spirit. Verse 10. He says, always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will. He was willing to do whatever God wanted him to do. And he submitted himself. That's the next thing. Submissive spirit. And then in verse 11, a loving spirit. Because he longed to see them. He desired to see them. It's kind of like when you have family that, that come and visit and they leave. And you kind of feel that hole, you know. It's like, wow, you know, I kind of miss them. That's, that's what Paul is saying here. Even though he, he hadn't been there yet, he, he still longed for them because he knew they were of the same faith. That's what we looked at last week. Today, I want us to look at, first of all, in verse 12, he talks about a humble spirit. We sang that song, Humble Yourself in the Sight of the Lord. He says in verse 12, that is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. I don't know about you, but that is so refreshing. It's so refreshing, you know, when, when we can go to a, some of the, the leadership or the men will go to a conference. And, you know, a lot of times you go to these conferences and you sit there and you're hearing experts talk to you about things. And it's refreshing once in a while to grab one of those speakers or one of the session leaders aside and begin to converse with them. And you know what? They're just like you and I. They don't have all the answers. They, you know, they're, they're, they're blessed to spend time and talk with you because they have a humble spirit. You know, when you run into someone who does not have a humble spirit, and especially in the service of the Lord, it's very obvious, very obvious. Sometimes, you know, there are people involved in ministry, unfortunately, that really give it a black eye in a lot of ways. Because for them, it's all status. Somehow they think they're God's gift to the church. And boy, if they don't write the book or if they don't preach the message, then it's not worth listening to. Um, that's not Paul's heart here. He was, he, he was a humble man even though God gifted him and used him incredibly. But he was in, interested in mutual benefit. Paul wasn't coming in as some spiritual expert to dispense some, you know, uh, big information to these Roman believers. Now, I know you don't know what you're doing, so let me come in as the expert and I'll show you how to be a Christian. No, he said, you know what? I want to be encouraged by you too. It's a two-way street. And that's the demonstration of his humility. I mean, there's a lot of people in the church today, unfortunately, and in ministry especially, that think they have so much to give, but they're unwilling to hear anybody else. They're unwilling to learn anything. They're not teachable at all. A true servant of God, beloved, should never, ever, ever feel superior to others. Now, some of us, that's a little easier to do than others because we, we can't. You know, we don't have the capacity. We're not gifted with a great intellect or whatever. So, you know, we, we understand our place. It's pretty clear. 
But sometimes you, you run into men who are extremely gifted. They have almost photographic memories. Any scripture's right on the tip of their tongue, and it's, boy, they just rattle it off, and boy, they know everything about everything. And man, those people can be intimidating. But you know what? It's neat to run into somebody like that that's very humble, that's, that's just willing to sit down and talk with you at your level. Sometimes you hear some of these teachers on, on the radio or on TV, and I kind of chuckle because sometimes they'll, be, they'll say one sentence, and it'll have five words in it that I never even heard of before. So they say their sentence, whatever it might be, and then they spend the next five minutes explaining what they just said. Well, now I said this. Now, what that means is, why don't you just say it so everybody can understand? I understand that they're kind of on a different level, and this is probably their personality. But we need to be able to relate to people. We need to have that humble spirit. Don't ever think that, that you're better than someone else because maybe you have something in your corner that they don't. We're all lacking in some form or fashion. And Paul says here, I want to minister to you and I want to impart my spiritual gift to you. But I know that because I'm going to do that, you're going to give something to me as well. And that's what ministry is. John Calvin once wrote this. Wrote this. He says, Note how modestly he expresses what he feels, talking about Paul, by not refusing to seek strengthening from inexperienced beginners. And that's what these Roman folks were. He means what he says. Too, for there is, is none so void of gifts in the church of Christ who cannot in some measure, contribute to our spiritual progress. Ill will and pride, however, prevent our deriving such benefit from one another. See, the church operates like this. You know, it, it, it's, it's people coming together, rubbing elbows. And, you know, there, there's some people that, you know, you ask them, are you discipling anybody? Well, no, no, I, I, you know, I'm not there yet. I, I need to learn more. You can always find somebody that knows less than you do. You know, it's just, that's just the way it is. And just find that person and spend time with them and impart whatever you know into their lives. And you'll be surprised. They'll impart things into your lives as well. Spend time with other brothers and sisters in Christ. That's the purpose of the church. That's why we come together. That's why we gather to be built up in our faith. That comes through messages, through preaching. That comes through Bible studies. That comes through just hanging out together over a cup of coffee and talking about life. All those things are, are so vital. Don't make Christianity, don't make church a two-hour deal on Sunday morning. If that's what you're doing, you're missing out. You're missing out on incredible blessings God has for you. Not only for you to benefit, but so that others can benefit from you. God wants us all to come together and to not just sit around and look at each other, but to impart help and wisdom and, and spiritual giftedness into each other's lives. And as we do that, we're going to have a, a mutual benefit happen. So Paul was eager to learn from inexperienced beginners. Sometimes when you're, I've been discipling people and, you know, sometimes they're, they're brand new in the Lord. And, you know, you kind of take on the role of a teacher in that way. You're teaching them things. And so you sit down, and sometimes they'll say the most profound things. You know, you read a scripture that you've, you've memorized and you know, and you're going through it. Yeah, yeah, this is what it means. And they'll ask a question. Well, does it, does it relate to this or whatever 
I never thought of that. <laughs> That's a really good question. Why haven't I ever thought of that? See, don't ever get to the point where you think, oh, I got it down. You know, I, I know it all. There's nothing else for me to learn. Because you're going to miss out on that mutual benefit. Because there's also a mutual blessing. He says in verse 12, not only that he may impart some spiritual gift to strengthen them, but then he says in verse 12, that is that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. See, it's a two-way street. You know, for, for every Sunday I come here and teach the Word of God, by the end of that, that time period of our fellowship time and interacting with people, somehow I walk away from this property each Sunday stronger in the Lord than I did before. And it's not because of what I'm doing. It's because of you. It's because spending time with you. And see, for my personality, that's the way it has to be. Because if it was just spend, peop- spend time with people because you, know, you just like to spend time with people, I would never spend time with people. Because <laughs> I'm not a people person. I'm just not. But I understand the value of investing time with other people. And that doesn't mean you know, that you're always going to reap a ton of results. You know, for over 16 years, I've been sitting at a seat down here at this coffee shop every morning almost, Monday through Friday, reading the paper, giving the guy two bucks for a cup of coffee. I don't even like coffee, okay? I just really don't. I just, you know, I drink it because it's there. I feel guilty just taking up a spot. But you know what? I know that somehow God is going to use that because I've, I've grown by my relationships with people in there and hopefully i've maybe pushed them a little closer to the lord you know as a result it's a mutual thing you know i would never go down there and okay the preacher's here you know (laughs) that's ridiculous don't fall into that kind of a, a mindset always be willing to learn others let's come together the humble teacher always says hey let's learn together you know everything i'm giving to you i got somewhere else you know, I probably never had an original thought in my life. Well, maybe not that bad, but you know what I'm saying. I mean, there's, there's a, a few things that really irritate me. You know, there's a lot, but one of them is a pompous teacher. Just somebody who, who thinks that somehow they, they treat you as if you know nothing about anything. But they know it all. That just grates against me. And it grates against the heart of God, too. In 1 Peter chapter 5, Peter directs these comments toward elders. And he says this in verse 2. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly. In other words, it's not a job. This is not a job. I've often told the, told the elders, you know, you know what? I mean, just so you understand, this is a calling. It's not a job. You could come to me next week and say, you know what? Sorry, the till's dry. We don't have any money to pay you. Unless God clearly opened up a door somewhere, I would go get a job and I would continue to do what I do. Would it be harder? Sure. This is a blessing to be able to be at a church where you're, you're able to, to do this full time and to... to I was going to say make a living at it, but it's, that's really not the case. It's, it's more you're just freed up from other things to focus on the things of God. That's a blessing. I don't do this under compulsion. 
I do it willingly. And he says there in 1 Peter, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, in other words, it's not for a check, but eagerly, not domineering over those in charge, in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, who is Christ, you will receive the unfolding, unfading crown of glory. Likewise, verse 5, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. The problem is we get caught up in exalting ourselves. We think, oh, well, you know, we're, we're worth this. I need to kind of promote this or promote. No, we don't. Let God promote you. I like what he says there. You who are younger, be subject to the elders. You know, I, I thank the Lord that our church is a conglomeration of people. Not only a different backgrounds, national backgrounds, ethnicity, but also age. You know, there's something about coming to a church where you can sit down with a dear brother in the Lord who's almost 100 years old and say, How is your, what do you do in your life? And you sit down and you, that brother tells you how he's been blessed of the Lord and, boy, he was in this situation and God delivered him out of that and, and God has never let him down. I don't know about you, but that speaks just encouragement into my life. Or to see how some of our older folks have gone through some pretty hard times, maybe with loved ones, maybe with physical needs, whatever it is, and God is, is still there, and he's still faithful to them, and they're still faithful to, to, to God. That's a picture of, of, of God's faithfulness to us. I pray that we never a church where you come together and, okay, oh, 30-something, you go over here, you know, 16 older, you do this, you do that. No, let's come together. Let's spend time together. Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 and 5, Paul said this, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you, not, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others, having this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. I don't know about you, but that's hard to do. That's hard for me to do. Do nothing from selfish ambition? Nothing? I mean, he doesn't say, well, do something. No, he says, do nothing. And then he says, I love this phrase, count others more significant than yourself. Boy, that would take your marriage and just take it to the heavens. (laughs) If we could just get a hold of that, right? Husbands, wives, if we could just get a hold of those couple words, count others more significant than yourself. Marital bliss awaits. It's not easy. (laughs) Never is. Don't look out for your own interests, but also for the interests of others. Wow. It's always encouraging to me when I can call another pastor maybe of a a church that's much larger than ours, and say, you know what, I got this problem, and I don't know how to do it. I don't know what to do about it. Here's what's going on. And I know that other pastor is busy, and they got time, and they don't have time for this. But you know what? 
at least the ones I've called, have always been willing to share time with me. Albeit just over the phone, but still, that means a lot. I'm sure they're overseeing a lot bigger ministry than, than we have here, and they have time schedules that are crunched. But you know what? When they hear someone is in serving the Lord somehow, and, and they're willing to spend time with them, that, that really speaks of, of a humble heart. One time we went to a, a conference, and I was trying to wait around to talk to one of the keynote speakers. This was years ago. And, uh, you know, I'm not real aggressive with people, so I just kind of wait in line, you know. You kind of wait there or whatever. And I got up right. I'm, I'm, like, I'm like the next person, right? And the guy goes, well, I got, I, got, I got to get back to the hotel. I got something to do, you know. It's, sorry, guys. You know, we got to cut this off right here. See you later. He just walked away. And I'm, uh, <laughs> I was angry. Standing there for like 40 minutes, you know, listening to everybody else talk about and ask these questions. And I got up there. Oh, got to go now. Sorry. Um, you know, and I thought, boy, I, I, I pray to God that, that we always, as Christians, are willing to make the time for whoever it is. And I, I always appreciate when you go to uh, events or conferences and, and you'll see certain individuals who are, you know, maybe it's a concert or whatever, a musician, and they're up there signing the albums. And you know what? You hang around, you wait, and you say, okay, when are they going to cut this off? And they're there till the end. They're there till the, the last guy in the building comes up and there's nobody else there. And okay, now I can leave. You know, that's true humility. That's true humility. And that's what Paul's speaking of here, is a humble spirit for mutual benefit and mutual blessing. Well, the next characteristic of a biblical servant, biblical servanthood, is a fruitful spirit. Verse 13, he says, I want you to know, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented. Why, Paul? In order that I may reap some harvest among you, as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. Paul understood the purpose of ministry. Paul understood the purpose of ministry was not just to, you know, line his pockets with people's money or to create a big sideshow where everybody came to see Paul. That wasn't what he was in, in, about, in it about. He understood the purpose of ministry. He didn't see ministry as an end of everything. He saw it as a means to an end. Sometimes we get confused and we think the purpose of ministry is ministry. <laughs> That's not true. The purpose of ministry is to produce fruit in other people's lives. That's why we do what we do. If fruit isn't being produced, then there's something wrong. The quest for spiritual fruit was basically everything that they did. The, new, the apostles of the New Testament, everything they did was based on, hey, God is going to give us fruit. We're going to see people come to know the Lord. We're going to see believers growing, edified. Jesus said in John 15, verse 16, he said this, You have not chosen me, Jesus said, but I chose you. And I ordained you that you should go, and what does he say? Bring forth fruit. That's what he told his disciples. That's what he tells us. The purpose of ministry is to, to see God bless us with fruit. Not so we can say, hey, look at all the big basket of fruit I got. Look at all the work I did. No, it's all for the glory of God. 
But he also here talks about ministry being kind of a, a pressure. And I think what he's talking about here is really the, the person who serves with his whole heart is really focused on, you know what, I want to see you work in the lives of these people, God. I want to see fruit. I'm not willing just to go and prepare and, and preach a message and just get through it and say, okay, that's done next. I would not do this for that. I want to see it because I believe I do this because I believe God will take his word, not mine, his word, and, and cause fruit in your lives and in my life. That's the purpose of it. Some people are just content with prestige and money or acceptance. That's what they're willing to do it for. And sometimes the devil puts little things in our minds and, you know, these people don't care. Why, why do I even do this? That's not from God. So you can allow this, this pressure to move you in a way that honors the Lord. Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 6, Paul writes this, The farmer that labors must be first partaker of the fruits. Verse 13 here, he says, I don't want you to be unaware. He kind of uses this, Paul uses this in his writings when he's addressing certain things that he really wants them to pay attention to. It's kind of emphasis, you might say. Paul says, you know what, I, I want to desperately come to you, but for whatever reason, I haven't been able to. I want to I be able to bear some fruit among you. You know, you can measure your commitment to Christ by whether you're more concerned with what happens in others' lives than you are with what happens in your own life. That's a good kind of picture, a good mirror to look at. Am I more concerned about, you know, my Sunday school, how I am as a teacher and and how everything goes and the time I'm putting in, or, or am I more concerned with how are they receiving it? Is it bearing any fruit? Am I more concerned about what happens in other persons' lives than our own, my own? And he says there, look, I've, I've tried to come to you there in Rome, verse 13, but I've been prevented from doing so. And the reason he wanted to come was not to kind of line his pockets with their money or have prestige or whatever. No, he wanted to see God reap a harvest among them. Well, what kind of fruit should we see produced in other people? Basically, the New Testament talks of three, three different ones. Galatians chapter 5, we know that. The fruit of the, the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, self-control, all those things. They're attitudes. Hopefully, we see attitudes being generated in other people as we minister to them. Paul wanted to come to the Romans and kind of help them with having the right kind of attitude. Secondly, there's actions. <clears throat> Fruit is not just what you attitude you have, but it's also what you do. Romans chapter 6, verse 22, a couple verses there, chapters to the right, Paul said this, But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God... 
He says this, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end is eternal life. See, Paul is saying that when we've been forgiven by Christ, somehow that should usher us into holy living where fruit is being produced. Life change is happening. Philippians chapter 4, verse 17, Paul said this, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. See, we're all gifted in a lot of different ways. And Paul is saying, hey, I'm not just coming so I can just do this gift, you know, use my own gift or get a gift from you. That's not, I I just want you to, to be better off with the Lord than you were before. Paul wanted to bear fruit among them. And he also wanted to see what fruit that would be instilled in his life as a result of being there with them. The third thing there is not just uh, attitudes and action, but also addition. Romans 16, 5, Paul says this, Greet also the church in their house. Greet my, my beloved Abinath, who is the first convert to Christ in Asia. It's interesting that Paul talks of them as fruit. The concept of fruit is applied to people who come to Jesus Christ and are added to the body of Christ. I mean, Paul desired people to be saved. Jesus desired people to be saved. God desires people to be saved. I got to ask you a question. Do you desire for people to be saved? And if you do, what are you doing about it? What action is leading to the addition of people to the kingdom of God? Are you willing to go out and share the Lord, share the gospel with those around you? Or are you just comfortable in your, you know, cozy little Christian environment and keep the world at bay? People need the Lord. That's a song, isn't it? Yeah, good song. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9.22, I have become all things to all people that by all means I may save some. Stop and think about that. That just goes right along with what he told us in Philippians, right? Have other people's concerns above your own. He says, I have become all things to all people. What does that mean? That means, you know what? If somebody who doesn't know the Lord strikes up a friendship with me, and they're an avid camper, and they say, hey, Pastor Steve, want to go away for a weekend and go up in the, the, the woods and we'll camp out. And Is that something I want to do? No. I don't want to do that. And I could say, you know what? I don't have time. I, you know, <laughs> I'll, you know, I'll, I'll minister to him some other way. But what Paul is saying is, you know what? If he likes camping, I like camping. That's what he's saying. Now, obviously not in areas of sin, Right? I mean, we don't want to cross that line. Maybe camping is a sin. I don't know. But maybe I could find a verse that would support that, that would get me out of that. But, but you know what I'm saying. We need, to, we need to stop our holy huddles and stop our righteous self-righteousness and get out there and rub some elbows with people that need to know the Lord and spend some time with them and show them that, you know what? God loves them and he died for them. Just this last week, Thursday night, I was down here late doing some stuff, and 
I heard somebody walk on that pathway, you know, in that metal plate there. It's like, oh, I thought maybe it was Ivor or something down here. So I kind of waited a couple seconds, didn't hear anything. I thought, okay, the door didn't open. Maybe I go out there. I walked out there, and there was a gentleman over here by the nursery. He had a box, cardboard box, and it was full of boxes, cardboard boxes, all broken down. So I looked down there, and I said, can I help you? And he turned around and looked at me. He goes, oh, oh, hi, hi. Uh, well, just kind of looking maybe for a place to stay, a place to sleep. And I'm like, okay. I'm, over, run, I'm on my way to the, make some copies in, in the office. So he kind of walks down. I said, what's your name? He, Roger. You know, so we start talking. And um, he, uh, the whole time, he's, I couldn't see his hand, so he's holding these boxes, right? And kind of had a backpack on and everything. And he seemed, you know, I can read people pretty good. And I thought, oh, he seems kind of harmless or whatever. So I was asking him what's he's doing. He's from Sacramento, just passing through. And I wanted to get out of the rain and blah, 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 blah. And um, I said, well, okay, well, uh, you know, you can't really hang out here because the police come through here. And they'll, they won't arrest you, but they'll kick you out of here. And, you know, if you try to shelter or did all that, you know. No, I'll just move on. Okay, fine. And uh, I said, well, i got to go in here and, and make some copies. And he goes, well, I got something for you. And I'm thinking, oh, man, he's going to stab me or something or shoot me or whatever, you know. So I'm, you know, we're within four feet of each other, and I'm kind of looking at him, and I just ignored him. <laughs> like, I didn't even say, what do you got? You know, I just said, well, like I said, I got to go in here and uh, make some copies. So, excuse me, he was standing in front of the door. And uh, he goes, uh, well, I know I, I was, I was going to share something with you. I said, oh, okay. Because the first time he said it was kind of confrontational. I thought, oh, that doesn't sound good, you know. So he went on to tell me how if you juice onions and squash and put the juice on your head, it stimulates your hair follicles and my hair would grow back. <laughs> I'm standing there going, what are you saying? I, you know, I'm not bald. I shave my head. Thank you very much. But anyway, make a long story st- short, kind of dismissed him. I went in, did my copies, getting ready to get in the car. And I look up and he's hanging around the fellowship hall up there and so he goes, hey, he kind of yelled down. He goes, you, you wouldn't happen to have a blanket, would you? And it's starting to drizzle. I'm going, oh, Lord. You know, and I'm praying about it. And I thought, I usually don't do this, but I put him in one of these classrooms down here for the night <laughs> and out of the rain, gave him a heater and met him the next morning down at the coffee shop and, and uh, said, you know, hey, I'll buy you breakfast and a cup of coffee. And spent time with Roger for about you know, three, four hours talking. He has a blog. He's not a believer, but he's searching. He says spiritually, gave him some literature. I don't know what's going to come of that. And I don't tell you that to say, oh, look at what I... No, I'm just saying, you know what? That was an inconvenience. That was not something that I had in my schedule. I wanted to go home. I was tired. But you know what? Studying this stuff all week, God just kind of knew that (laughs) I'm going to put this... I'm going to put your teaching to the test. And that's what he did. I don't know what's going to happen to Roger. I don't know if he'll ever come to the Lord. I gave him my card and and uh, told him to stay in touch. And he moved on and went to San Jose and hopefully to Santa Cruz eventually. But see, it's, it's those kind of situations, beloved, that we have to be a little more active in. We have to be willing to get out of our comfort zone because that's what God calls us to do. And that's a pressure that, that comes from studying and understanding the Word of God. When you see the Apostle Paul's life and you realize, wow, he was all things to all people. That's amazing. And with that comes incredible pleasure. 
Um, if ministry was just about maintaining stuff, I, I wouldn't be in ministry. But there's something pleasurable about being in ministry and seeing God do a work in somebody's heart to the point where, you know what? They're, they're coming along and they're, they're putting the pieces of the puzzle together and you know that God is active there. That's, that's such an encouragement. Well, that's the, the fruitful spirit. The next one is the obedient spirit. It needs to go quickly. He says in verse 14, I'm under obligation both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. Notice he says he's under obligation. This was not an option for him. That's why I say sometimes, you know, Christianity is not a spectator sport. If you think that you can be a spectator and be a Christian, there's something sorely wrong with your faith. Because that's not what the Bible says. That's not an option. Paul says it was an obligation for him to serve God. Um, He didn't make decisions of ministry just on a whim how he was feeling that day. He didn't sit down one day and say, well, you know, I could be a tent maker or maybe an attorney or a politician or whatever. Ah, I think I'll become a preacher. That sounds pretty good. No. And you talk to anybody who's legitimately in ministry with a calling, and they'll tell you, this is probably the last thing I ever thought I would do. But the Apostle Paul understood that he owed a debt to God. And it gave him that compulsion. He says in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, For I preach the gospel... That gives me no ground for boasting. For necessity is laid upon me, Paul writes. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this of my own will, I have a reward. But if not of my own will, I am still entrusted with a stewardship. Paul didn't want anybody to put up a statue in his name or name a city after him. That's not what he was looking for. He wasn't looking for... You know, those kind of, of rewards. He did what he did, not to get the adulation of people, but to really serve the Lord that he owed a debt to. I mean, think about what this man was doing before he became a Christian. What was he doing? Paul. He was killing what? Christians, Right? I mean, and not just one or two. I mean, you know, I mean, they'd have like killing parties. I mean, yeah, line them up, you know. Um, and he thought he wasn't doing it maliciously. He thought as a Jew, this is what God called him to do. And now Christ meets him, converts him. Now he, he understands that Christ has, God has forgiven all of his sin. All these people that he killed, all these Christians that he killed, it's all forgiven. I mean, if you can't get your mind around that and understand that when God forgives you, you know, it's, yeah, it's a free gift. It's by grace through faith. All that is true. But you know what? You have to have a sense of debt. And so Paul is saying, don't, don't pat me on the back. Don't pat me on the back saying, oh, boy, you're such a great person. You're such a wonderful apostle. No, he goes, I do this because I have to do it. I owe it. It's a commitment. It's a commitment that only can come from the Lord. I mean, sometimes, you know, I can't wait to get get over here Sunday and, and share with you what I've learned 
in the week or maybe the month studying for something or whatever it is. But I'll be honest with you, there's sometimes Sunday morning comes and I'm just going, oh man, I don't want to do this. I feel like I got nothing, nothing. It's not making any sense. It's not adding up. And I I just, you know, the fear comes in. It's like, oh man, this is not going to go well. Why do you do it? You do it because you have a commitment. You made a commitment. And that is so important to understand that we can't just do ministry when we feel like doing ministry. Sometimes ministry isn't exciting. Sometimes God isn't working in incredible, miraculous ways. And sometimes it's a struggle to get through those times. But you know what? When you do, when you do it for the right reason, when you understand that, you know what? I owe a debt and I made a commitment to serve the Lord with my life and I'm going to do it. Period. God will bless that. You have an obligation to God, but then also an obligation to man. He says in verse 14, I'm under obligation both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. In other words, it doesn't matter who I minister to, Paul's saying. Whoever walks through the door, man, if they need the Lord, I'm here for them. I'm not going to discriminate by age or color or, you know, whatever background, ethnicity. No, I'm here to, to minister to whoever God brings across my path because I'm obligated to them. I mean, if you were driving home this afternoon and, you saw a little boy standing in the middle of Jefferson Avenue. I don't think many of you here would say, oh, look at that little boy. He's playing in traffic and just keep on going. You would have an obligation to stop your vehicle, probably right in the middle of the street, turn your forward, run around, grab that kid out of the danger. That's your obligation as another human being. How much more so is our obligation as Christians to those who don't know Christ? James says that we should not have the attitude if a man comes across our path who's in need of clothes or food. We just smile at him and say, I know, be warm. God bless you, brother. Be filled. That's not discharging the debt. That's not living up to the commitment. Paul says he owed the Gentile world the truth. Remember what he was. He was a Pharisee. They don't look kindly on Gentiles. And yet he said, I'm indebted to the Lord because I know they're on their way to hell and I know the way to heaven. And it's up to me to share that with them. Luke 12, 48, Jesus said, unto whomever much is given of him, much will be required. You know, we think of that a lot of times monetarily, you know, but I think it applies spiritually. I think it applies for us as believers who's been given freely the forgiveness of God. How could we even think of going another day without sharing the good news of the gospel with somebody, without reaching out and showing somebody Christ's love? And yet we do it all the time. The Apostle Paul was under obligation And you notice there, he says it doesn't matter who it is, whether it's Greeks, barbarians, wise, unwise, doesn't matter. When a person spoke anything other than Greek, the Greeks 
basically said, you know what, your, your language sounds just like chatter. That's where you get that word barbarian. Bar, 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 bar. That's, that's what he's saying. What are you saying? We don't even, you don't even make sense. You're unintelligent. And Paul said, you know what, whether you're some educated Greek or you're some, you know, uneducated barbarian, it doesn't matter. A person's heart is a person's heart. And we just need to be reminded of that. And then the eager spirit, he says there in verse 15, so I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Why is he eager? Because he knows that it's the only hope they have. I think sometimes we think more of somebody's book that they wrote because we recommend their book more than we we were willing to share the gospel with them. Paul says, you know what? I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. Even if I'm poured out as a drink offering, he wrote in Philippians, upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I'm glad and rejoice with you all. In other words, whatever it takes, I'm willing to give whatever it takes. He was eager to do that. And the last thing here is that he was also not just eager, but he was bold. I love what he says, and we'll look at this when I get back. He says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. Are you ashamed of the gospel? I'm sure maybe at times we've all been ashamed of the gospel. I think it's the pious Christian who says, oh, no, not me. I've never been ashamed of the gospel. I think we all have been ashamed of the gospel in some way or fashion. And what Paul is saying is, hey, you know what? It's the only thing that's available to save the human heart. The glorious gospel of Christ. And I hope and I pray that we'll be bold to share the glorious gospel that we could say with Paul, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why, Paul? Because it's the power of God. The power of God for salvation. To who? To everyone. Everyone who believes. Whether you're Jew, the Jew first, also to the Greek. Covers all the bases. Doesn't discriminate. That's the gospel that we need to be sharing. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for your message. Lord, I pray that we would, in the coming days, weeks, and months even, strive to put these characteristics of biblical leadership, biblical servanthood, into practice. Lord, that we would be thankful and concerned, prayerful and willing and submissive and have a loving spirit, a humble heart. Lord, that we would understand what it means to see fruit for your glory as we serve you in obedience eagerly and boldly. Father, we ask that you would just do your work in and through your people. We thank you. We pray for any here today who has yet to put their faith or trust in Christ. Lord, I pray that they would understand that there's no other way to be saved. There's no under, no, no other name under heaven given among men whereby you can be saved. That's what the word of God says. Pray that you would bow your heart, your knee to the Lord today. You'd be honest with him. Just say, boy, you know what? I know I got sin in my life. Everybody has sin. The Bible says all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. The question is, what do I do with it?
Well, your book says, the Bible says that I can bring that sin to you and you'll forgive it. Because I've been trying to work, work my way out of this pit and it's not, not working out too well. So God, if you're there, you want to save me by your grace, I pray that you do it. Be merciful to me, a sinner. Cry out to him this morning. He'll save you. For us believers, I pray that we'd be empowered with the power of the Holy Spirit as we leave this place, believing in the power of your word and preaching it not just with our lips, but with our lives as well before a sinful and fallen world that so desperately needs to hear the good news of the gospel. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.